So why would Philip, a God-fearing Jew, be in Samaria? He's in Samaria, if you want to pull up that map, Jewel. He's in Samaria because when the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, he and many of the other disciples went up to Samaria to preach the word of God. It's funny how persecution might disperse us from being a a unified church that can see each other to a church that is out spreading the good news, but God is using this persecution. And Philip's ministry in Samaria is thriving. We get accounts of how miracles are being done. People who don't know the Lord are giving their lives to him left and right. So in a pagan place, God is doing something pretty incredible. And that's where Philip is until we enter the word today. If you look at the geography of this map, the call that Philip gets to leave Samaria, if you follow those arrows down to the desert road, is a pretty confusing call. He's in a large region that needs, desperately needs to know Jesus, and the place is on fire. This is a thriving ministry, And Philip hears the voice of the Spirit call him out of this thriving ministry to a lonely desert road in the middle of the Judean wilderness. I don't know how many of you have been in the Judean wilderness. I know a few faces here have. Yeah, hey, Becca. Becca's been. How was it? Hot, dry, and miserable. (laughs) There's not a lot of people hanging out in the Judean wilderness. So this road... It's a very interesting place for God to call Philip compared to the thriving place he just was. And what's more is the the wording used here gives scholars the reason to believe the time Philip is called to this road is noon. Guess where you don't want to be on a paved road at noon in the Judean wilderness? Yeah, there. There. (laughs) So we expect this to be a very lonely place. This calling makes no sense. And unless Philip was very in tune with the voice of the Lord, I don't think he would have gone. How many of us would leave a thriving ministry where things are going well for a hot, lonely desert road where we don't really think we're going to see anybody? But Philip goes and gives us a beautiful picture of trust and obedience on his way. And as Philip is faithful to walk this desert road, the Lord is faithful to tell Philip, And what does the Lord tell Philip to do? Not rhetorical. Somebody shout it out. What does the Lord tell Philip to do? What are his instructions? Yeah, walk alongside of a carriage. Kind of creepy stalker-ish. This is a carriage in the middle of nowhere. So it's not coming for an encounter with Philip. And on top of that, what kind of carriage are we told it is? Yeah, it's a royal carriage. It's not just carrying random Joe Smith over here. It's carrying the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. So Philip is told by God to kind of be a stalker and go up to this royal carriage, a man of absolutely no status, to go stand beside a royal carriage and hope that things work well. Again, this doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense probably in Philip's mind, and I know it wouldn't make sense in my mind either. But does Philip hesitate? Does he stand and and kind of walk behind the chariot slowly to make sure this is really what God was calling him to do? Does he stop before he approaches the carriage and have one of those really God moments 
are you sure this is what you want me to do? Rain down fire and send a sign before I go do this crazy thing, God. No. What does it say Philip does when he hears the voice? He runs. He doesn't just slowly, timidly walk. Philip bolts and is running in obedience to do what God has called him to do. He plunges head first into God's direction. It's pretty beautiful. And this is Philip's pattern. All throughout this evangelistic encounter that we see him going through. Have you caught on to it yet? It's really simple. Philip listens to the voice of the Lord. And he responds in faithfulness. He listens and responds. We see it again and again and again in this entire encounter with the Ethiopian. When Philip hears the voice of the Lord to go to the road, he leaves a thriving ministry immediately and goes. When the Spirit says, Philip, go up to the carriage, he literally runs up to the carriage. And even when it isn't God's voice himself in his ear, he sees the opportunities God is giving him. He hears the passage the eunuch is reading, and he sees his cue, and without pausing, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And when the eunuch is clearly baffled and says, no, how can I? He invites Philip into the carriage, and Philip doesn't skip a beat. He gets right in. He listens to the passage, and Philip begins to share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. And at the end of the story, the eunuch asks him to be baptized. And Philip does it. He doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't miss an opportunity to bring someone into baptism. And finally, at the end of the story, when Philip is transported from where they are on this desert road to almost 30 miles away to the city of Azotus. By the way, how? Teleportation? I don't know. This is one of the most baffling verses in the scripture to me. He just miraculously finds himself there. Is he standing in whiplash from this amazing Holy Spirit event that happened? No, he listens to the fact that God just dropped him in the city, and immediately he starts sharing the gospel again. Philip has a pattern of consistent listening and responding immediately in faithfulness. This is easy, right? This is a beautiful pattern, because he knows Evangelism isn't about taking control of the situation. Evangelism isn't about perfectly orienting circumstances for someone to give their life to Jesus. It's not about convincing someone. It's about responding to the opportunity we hear the Lord give us in faithfulness. It's as simple as that, brothers and sisters. And when Philip does it, he has a pretty amazing day. (laughs) How many of us, you or I, have had a day like this? We leave a thriving ministry, go to a new road, meet someone, lead them to Christ, baptize them, and then are transported in the power of the Holy Spirit 30 miles later and it's starting a whole new ministry again in one day. I'm happy if I get the opportunity to share the gospel once in a day, in a week. (laughs) I don't know about you. If you've had a day like this, please come talk to me about it after the service. But I'm guessing that most of us would just be jumping for joy if someone was reading the scriptures and offered us an open invitation to come share the good news. I hope we have days like Philip had. But I also wonder, and I wonder this for myself too, would I have the boldness to respond in obedience the way Philip responded? 
would we have the boldness, brothers and sisters, to do what he did? Because I think if we are honest, many of us would be held back by fear. How many of you have ever been afraid when it comes to sharing your faith with someone? Yeah, (laughs) that's most of us. Some of us might just be too lazy this morning to raise our hands. We're still waking up. But I think we've all had that fear. And this morning, I want us to address some of those fears through the lens of Philip's story. Because I have taught how to share your faith, gospel fluency, class after class at this church about how to share our faith. And every single time we start, we start by addressing our fears. And almost everyone in the room that has ever been around the table has come with one of these five fears we're going to talk about. There's lots more. We could talk all day. I could talk all day about the fears I have around sharing the gospel. But we're going to address what I think are the top five fears I hear from us over and over again. And I experience over and over again when we share the gospel. And hopefully we can find some encouragement from the story of Philip from those fears. So fear number one, I think this is one of the most common fears. Did I really hear God say that? Who's experienced this one? This is a raising your hand kind of day, so just get them ready, friends. Has anybody ever had that second guessing where you feel the Spirit's nudge to go do something, to go share with someone, and all of a sudden you go, is that really what God is saying? And we second guess whether or not we've actually heard the voice of the Lord, because it's weird, because it doesn't make sense, because logically what I was just told to do doesn't seem to fit into the story of the way I thought my day was going to go, and that person's going to think I'm weird. But brothers and sisters, God doesn't work with our logic. So if we are second-guessing, I want to remind you of the verse that Jesus gives us in John 10 when he says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me, and they listen to my voice. Do not be deceived. You have the voice of the Savior. You know the voice and the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Don't second-guess it. And if you do second-guess it, remind yourself that 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, go and be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. Don't stop and wait for a sign and wait for Jesus to spell it out in your alphabet suit to go share the gospel. He gave you that sign a long, long time ago. If you're, if you're doubting and second-guessing, my guess is it's not the voice of the shepherd. It's the voice of the thief. Trust that you know the Lord's voice and do it even when it doesn't make sense. I was at never the same camp. Uh, the first year we went, I don't know, like five years ago, with the middle school youth group. And I was with my youth group girls. They were amazing. And at, at never the same camp, every night they have this epic time of worship and of teaching when, when everyone gets together in the same room and it's kind of the pinnacle event of the day. And so there is no one on campus, staff, youth leaders, the actual youth, that are anywhere but in this room worshiping God. And it was such a sweet moment. I'm looking at my youth group girls. We're worshiping. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit say, Laura, go outside. I'm counting my youth group girls. Nope, they're all in here, Lord. I'm worshiping you, Lord. This is where I'm supposed to be. I shut the voice down. Chalk it up to misunderstanding. I'm worshiping. We're having a great time. Laura, go outside. This doesn't make any sense, Lord. I'm worshiping you. But over and over again, I hear the words, and it doesn't make sense. But finally, I'm I'm so irritated. I'm like, okay, whatever, God. So I walk outside, and I have this moment with the Lord where I see absolutely no one. Because everyone in the middle of Podunk, New York, is inside this place worshiping God. 
And I'm like, see, God, I told you, nobody's out here. And then in my pride, I notice almost all the way at the bottom of the steps into the building, there's a, there's a young woman, can't be more than 21, who's sitting by herself crying. <sighs> okay, Lord. <laughs> she and I have a conversation. She doesn't know me. I don't know her. It's very strange. But in the midst of that conversation, I learned that she is struggling through camp ministry and is just broken and terrified. And after five years of coming off of camp ministry, it was amazing what God had allowed me the opportunity to testify to her with from my experience and from his words. She was from Grand Rapids, Michigan, by the way. It was an awesome time. And God made it clear that it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. Don't second guess the voice of the spirit. Fear number two, I don't know that person. Hands again, how many of us have ever struggled with this? God, you're calling me to pray for who? That person at the gas pump next to me? Well, I don't know them. Yeah, it can be really awkward. It's awkward enough sometimes sharing our faith with our best friends, our family, people we know that aren't going to disown us and look at us and think we're weirdos, let alone sharing that with a stranger. But Philip didn't know the eunuch at all, right? <laughs> Philip doesn't hesitate because it's weird. Philip doesn't hesitate because this is a stranger. Philip is obedient, and he goes. So often we think we need to earn the right to be heard by having some relationship credit with a person. Jesus doesn't need to earn the right to be heard. The one who gave us ears and a voice to speak has already earned the right to be heard in anyone's life. So if he is calling you to share with someone, even if it's someone you don't know, don't second-guess that. Be like Philip and run into the life of a stranger with joy. <laughs> Fear number three, I could get rejected or lose my relationship with a person that I love. How many of us have felt that? Yeah, some of your hands were up before I even asked, because you know. This is a deep fear that we have. I think this is one of the deepest. And for a second, I don't have good news for you. Because yes. At the end of the day, yes. This isn't just a fear. At some point in your life, it's probably going to be a reality. But my hope is that you take comfort in knowing your temporary discomfort in that relationship might mean someone's eternal security. Because it's not about our comfort. It's not about keeping the friendships that we want to have because they make us feel good. It's about lovingly and genuinely sharing the love that God has for that person and allowing God to do what he will with it. When we look at what the scripture said about Jesus, he was rejected. He was despised. They asked him to leave. They cast him out of the city. They called him crazy. They sought to stone him. He was not welcomed by his own. The prophet had no honor in his own hometown. Jesus felt the ultimate rejection and was eventually sent to the cross. He did that, knowing that was going to happen. And yet he proclaimed the good news anyway. Proclaiming the good news is not about feeling comfortable or keeping our circle of friends close. It's about sharing the love that Jesus has for someone in a way that changes them for eternity. Now we do this carefully, and we do this lovingly, and we do it boldly. We're not jerks that go into people's faces. 
If someone is leaving their relationship with you because of the way you're sharing Christ, that's an issue. But if they're rejecting you because you're sharing the love of Christ, that's God's issue to deal with. We are just called to be faithful. Number four, I won't have the right thing to say. How many of us have ever felt this way? Yes. But notice this passage doesn't tell us what Philip said. And I think that's beautiful. This passage simply says Philip took the opportunity to share the good news. It doesn't say Philip walked the Romans road with him and went verse by verse by verse in the proper orientation for how to share the gospel. It doesn't say that Philip drew the bridge illustration between the gap between man and God and put a cross there on a piece of parchment. And it doesn't say that Philip held up his four bracelet that he had perfectly memorized the verses to and went point by point through the four points of the gospel and at the end asked him if he wanted to give his life to Jesus. It just tells us that Philip listened and responded to the questions by sharing the good news. There is freedom in that. We don't have to have the right thing to say. We have to have what Philip had, which was a fierce and fervent reliance on the Spirit. When you are in tune and listening to the Spirit, He will give you what to say when the time comes. And He can use your imperfect words to point people closer to God. Finally, fear number five. I don't know enough. I don't know enough how to defend my faith. Yeah, oh yeah, hands. Sorry, hands. Who's, who's experienced this one? I don't know enough. I don't know enough how to defend my faith. I don't know enough about apologetics. I don't know about, enough about the Bible. I haven't been a Christian for a very long time. I haven't studied Isaiah well enough. Hey, you can jump in Marlene's Bible study. I haven't studied Isaiah enough, well enough to know this. This really isn't for me. I don't know enough. Brothers and sisters, if you have been changed by Jesus himself, you know enough. Because all we are called to do is bear witness. You are called to witness and to testify to what you do know. I love this sticker. This is a Christian company that does stuff like that, and it makes me laugh all day and all, all night. If you have had an experience with the Redeemer of the world and your life has been redeemed, you have a story to tell because redeemed people always have a story to tell. It's okay if you don't know the difference between Isaiah and Jeremiah. It's okay if you're not sure who Habakkuk, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai are. It's okay if you don't know how to say it. I still struggle with how to say it. It's okay, but you do know enough if you have been changed by Jesus to testify to what you know is true. When people are called to give testimony in the court of law, they aren't asked to account for every detail of the story that is happening. They're asked to say, what do you know from your experience to be true? This is not an excuse for not being in the Word. Philip knew how to respond to the Ethiopian because he recognized the passage from Isaiah. We have to be faithful. First Peter tells us, always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, we don't have to know everything. And we have to stop saying, as Pastor Kathy beautifully put it last week, we don't have to know everything in order to do anything. Don't let not knowing any everything stop you from doing anything. You know enough if you have been changed by Jesus. Speak to what you know, and God will use that in his own way. These are just fears. 
These five things that we all understandably experience as human beings are just fears and lies that the devil uses to keep God's people from doing what they have been called to do. They are all based on human wisdom, human capability, human logic. But our God is not based on any of those things. God did not ask you to come equipped, ready to be the world's best evangelist. In fact, what scripture tells us is the opposite of that. In the three gospels where we see Jesus call fishermen into fishermanship, he says this, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus didn't call the disciples because they were the most perfect, best equipped evangelists because he looked down their spiritual gift test and they were all highest on evangelism. He called them because he had a plan for them. And he was going to take 12 ordinary men and use them to do extraordinary things by following him. And that's the linchpin for us. And I hope you see that in every one of those. We are not born fishermen. We are turned into fishermen by following Jesus. When I met my husband, he loved to fish. I had grown up fishing with a push-button casting plastic pole that looked a lot like that, and maybe catching bluegill on a good day. I was not experienced by any stretch of the imagination, but I loved to fish. So when he asked me when we were dating to go fishing, I said, sure. Oh, 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 little did I know what fishing was actually about. (laughs) How many different kinds of fishing poles you need? You should see our garage. Um, How many different kinds of bait there were? What different kinds of fishing there were? What skills you need? Planer boards and poles and jigs and things I still don't understand. And so when we started fishing together, I was very intimidated. But the more we fished together, the more I got used to it. He was very patient with me when I was furious immediately for not being good at it. He was very patient with me when I could not feel when the perch were biting on my ice fishing pole because they just don't hit hard enough. You can't feel it and you can't see it. It's magic. I don't understand it. He was patient with me over and over again, and every time he would smile and teach, smile and correct, smile and instruct. And by fishing with perch and him reeling one in and then handing me the pole to reel a king salmon in, which is really hard, by the way, or by showing me the proper way to do it, I learned skills. I was being equipped. And by the end of it, I could actually catch a pike, and it was beautiful and wonderful. And now perch fishing is one of my favorite things, even though I'm still really not that great at it. But it brings joy to my heart, and I desire to do it. But I didn't start out there. It took a long time of me walking and spending time with perch to learn how to do that faithfully. The same is true of us when it comes to sharing our faith, brothers and sisters. Philip wasn't born a perfect evangelist. None of us were born ready and perfectly to testify to who Jesus is. But from spending time with the ultimate fisherman who reeled you in, we learn at his feet. We listen like Philip did. As those 12 disciples spent three years on earth with Jesus watching him, be the ultimate fisherman. They were equipped to be fishers of men themselves. It's the same with you and I. We won't have all the right words. 
We won't know immediately what to do, but over time and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can become wonderful fishers of men. I want you to think about this before we end. Barna Research Group says that the church in America, 1% claim to have the gift of evangelism. One out of every hundred Christians say they are equipped to evangelize. I don't remember anywhere before Jesus gave the Great Commission, him lining up the 12 disciples and saying, okay, Peter, James, and John, you got the gift. Now go make disciples. The rest of you probably stick around the Jerusalem church, lead some Bible studies, do some small group stuff, equip God's people. It's going to be great. Ready? Break. Jesus lined up all 12 and gave them all the same call to go. Jesus doesn't care if your strongest spiritual gift is evangelism or administration. The creator of the universe who gave you your identity and your call as people who are sent because you have been redeemed doesn't care if it's your favorite thing to do. He has equipped you to do it. Even if it's not your strongest gift, he has given you what you need to fish. If you are struggling with this, if you identify as the 99% who say they don't have this gift, I want to encourage you to think again. Because that's not in the nature of God. And that's not in the nature of him to send his people out for a calling that he will not equip them with. You have been equipped. So I want to challenge and ask, if Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, and we aren't making fishing for men, are you actually following Jesus? And that is not a call to guilt. That is a sincere call to reflection that I am taking on in my life as well. If we aren't fishing for men, are we actually following Jesus? That doesn't say catching fish. Notice that. <laughs> it says if you aren't actively fishing, can you really say you're following Jesus? Because if that's a promise he made, my, my guess is we're the issue in that equation. It's not usually Jesus making false promises. It's never that. It's us reflecting and saying this was his promise. I should be making fishers of men. How do I need to rely on the Lord and ask him to equip me to do this? Because this is who we are, brothers and sisters. We are God's people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have hope. We have a story to tell. Orchard Hill, we have been given an identity as redeemed and saved by the one who redeemed us on the cross. If you know the Redeemer, if you have been caught and fished for, it's time to step into your identity, not in your own power, but in the power of the greatest fisherman himself. The one who has the power to give you nets that will be overloaded with a catch that will amaze you. Step into that identity today. Live in Christ's power like Philip did like the disciples did. And Orchard Hill together, let's go fishing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, we give you the praise because you are the ultimate fisherman. We thank you that you have caught us at just the right time. We thank you that though it is not in our power or in our toolbox inherently on our own, to know how to go fishing, to know how to do that scary word of evangelism. 
you have given us what we need through your power, through your redemption, and through your promises that when we sit at your feet, when we listen and respond in faithfulness, and when we follow you, you have equipped us just like you did Philip to become fishers of men. In the name of Jesus, I just pray away the fear and the lies that Satan might be whispering here today to tell us that we aren't good enough or equipped enough to be able to do this because you promised to give us what we need. And God, my prayer is that we would remember where we were before we met you, before you reeled us in, Jesus, and that we would use the hope that we have been given as redeemed people to spur us on to boldly declare the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Orchard Hill, fishermen and fisherwomen, today we come to the table of the king. We come to the ultimate fisherman's table, the one who reeled us in with his love, with his power, and with his sacrifice. Here we remember what Jesus did for us, the reason that we have hope. And it's here we look at the table and the family of God and think of those that we wish to join us around this table that God might be calling us to go and tell. It's here that we come to the King of Kings and we ask for his empowerment supernaturally from this feast to go and to do what he has called us to do. So we come to the table with those around the world on Worldwide Communion Sunday to be equipped, empowered, and to remember who our Jesus is. We're going to go to a time of worship right now. But I want to invite us, before we go into that time of worship, to just take some time silently and get our hearts ready before the Lord time of confession, of repentance, of reflection with God. So I want to invite you into that now. Jesus, in your mercy, forgive us and speak to us now as we get ready to approach this table of grace.